Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. Welcome back, everyone. I'm joined today by Claire behind Mamahood My Way, and she is a podcast host, but she also hosts retreats for mothers in South Australia. So I was hoping to pick her brain a little bit about that later on. But for now, we're here to talk about her story with birth trauma, as well as what helped her through. And she'd written on her submission, which really stood out to me, a potent package of postnatal recovery tools helped me heal. Um, And I love that. So I'm curious what that package looked like from what I'm seeing. One was a full birth debrief and another was retreat from your baby. So again, we'll get to that stuff, but welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm very honoured. I know everybody says that, but it's true. Thank you. Where do you feel like you want to start your maternal mental health journey? Like, Is there a particular moment or memory that sticks out in your mind? Well, I suppose a, an important point to that punctuates my maternal mental health journey is really the, that we were in the pandemic. Yeah. So I um, I think that is resonates, you know, I think there'll be lots of people listening, I'm sure that are, yeah, have a hard relate on that one, because it just changed the dynamic of everybody's pregnancies, the way that they experience support around their pregnancy, what appointments looked like what the actual birthing experience meant and the restrictions around that and then obviously into postpartum you know it affected a lot of things like mothers groups and appointments and and just that connection that we lost even with the implementation of masks which were obviously very necessary but it was a tough one nonetheless but I think you know just as I guess a bit of a backstory and a very brief history of where I and how I ended up becoming a mother and um, I guess it wasn't the the fairy tale that I had kind of hoped for in that I was very fortunate that we didn't have a huge struggle to become pregnant. But what I've had a huge struggle with is to find someone that I was willing to have a baby with in the first place. (laughs) So I'd had a few false starts in my 20s. I was with a partner for about 13 years and that sadly ended in divorce um, in my, well, I was 30. So big life change moved to Australia with a new partner and then that didn't work out. So I'm sort of all of a sudden sat with a bit of a question mark around my, I guess my dream of having a family, whether Mm. it would even happen at all. But I actually went, I'm very goal oriented. So I went very hard (laughs) for the first time in my life at 34, 35. um, I think people thought it was a midlife crisis, but I went uh, into the online dating world, which is a whole other experience, which we won't talk about. But 
I did find my my person and I, I did find um a baby daddy, if you like, who was absolutely exactly what I was I would I could have hoped for, everything I could have hoped for in a partner. And so that was um that really punctuated, I guess, yeah, my journey in because we had to go we had to move quite fast, right? We had to mm-hmm. move quite fast in terms of my age. So I was thirty seven by this point. I had had some issues around my ovaries. And I, and I know you've spoken a lot in the podcast about health anxiety. And I think I had quite a lot of fertility anxiety, I would say. Uh, we took about eight months um, to conceive, which is nothing in the grand scheme of people's journeys. However, those eight months were very heightened. Um, I was hyper-focused on falling yeah. pregnant and, and not falling pregnant. And I had, you know, the typical you know, the fertility sticks and the counting of days and, and measuring everything and, the, you know, inspecting your mucus just to be mm. really um, graphic about it. But, you know, all the things, you <laughs> just course. go down a rabbit hole. And I'd say that really did spark this um, obsess- obsessive kind of approach to researching and, and just becoming, I guess, a bit paralysed yeah. in the whole process. But it was it was broken there was a circuit breaker when I fell pregnant and the fact that you know we were very fortunate that the pregnancy went on to become very you know to into a baby which is which is what we obviously want and it was a reasonably straightforward pregnancy but I could sense that there was a sort of heaviness in my heart but I didn't give it any attention so I guess the the real grief aspect was that my family Mm. were locked out of the country and so I didn't really give it I think the airtime that it deserved I just was focused on growing that little human and so it's no wonder that fast forward into postpartum that the breakdown happened and and it all came out when you are able to let yourself feel so look let's fast forward to the birth it was pretty straightforward textbook pregnancy I was really lucky and I I feel really grateful for the experience I had I took a really nice long leave period before actually having the baby finished up at 34 weeks cannot recommend enough I just went to myself on dates and cinema and had you know lots of time I think that was a big help actually for what was to come because I wasn't depleted I wasn't working right up into the wire but then I am Went into labour at 40 plus three and um, it was Saturday morning. We were at the beach. I could feel a few twinges. We were with friends and I was like, well, maybe, but I didn't say anything. Went home and I was like, yeah, no, I think this is it. So it started off quite, quite well. Nothing really unusual. You know, it's not pleasant, is it? But um, it ended up, you know, the contractions were going for you know, around 24 hours and I thought mm, it's maybe time now because they're ramping up and they were getting a bit closer, but they were very sporadic. Maybe time to reach out to my um, midwife. And I was very fortunate to get into a program, the Midwifery Group program in South mm. Australia. You're aware of it. And I was very um, grateful for that, that I had my own midwife. And so she came out and she did her little check and I hadn't progressed. I wasn't dilated at all. So this was like 24 hours. And I felt like I, I wasn't really able to sleep. So that was the kind of level of contractions we were at. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, more time passed and I said, look, this is getting quite significant. And I wasn't really looking for a pain relief free birth. Um, but she said, look, go in to get checked because it's quicker for you to do that. We weren't too far from the hospital. And again, I hadn't dilated at all. And so this was just frustrating. I think, yeah, that's what it feels like. It's disappointing and you feel like you're you feel like you're running the race and bit going nowhere. I was doing all the right things, all yeah. the right things that were told. I'd done hypnobirthing. I had my mm. playlist. The oxytocin was coming. I was sniffing the clary sage. I was bouncing on my ball. But I was also in a lot of pain. And I said to her, I am in a lot of pain. And I feel like, you know, I've got a full sleeve of tattoos. Like my pain threshold's not amazing, but it's pretty reasonable. And I was like, I don't know how much I can do. So she sent me home with paracetamol, which was really offensive. <laughs> and um, I got into the bath and just, I slept there all night. I didn't sleep, sorry. I was just lying there. My partner slept on the floor next to me and I was just sat I was just in the bath like trying to get through every contraction you know so that would start at the Saturday this is a Sunday Monday it got to like the lunchtime and I just had had enough so my midwife came back out again and she was like you're about two centimeters but it's it's just it's really slow we should probably break your waters you know maybe you need uh, an induction so I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I need to know that something's happening. Yeah. So we went into hospital. I wanted to try for a water birth. So we filled the bath. We had a beautiful room. I got the gas in there, but it was so painful. And she just said, you haven't slept in two days. This was like the Monday night by this point. I think you're going to need some stronger pain relief. I think you might need an epidural which was the first time that it came into my head. But that was fine. I had no aversion to it. It just meant that my water birth was out the window, which was fine. And so the request was put in for the epidural. And to be honest, the next the next 12 hours, yeah, about 8 to 10 hours actually, is pretty horrific. And I'm not going to go into it in too much detail because I do want to um, go go through, you know, keep going. But essentially the the epidural failed four times over the space of eight hours which meant that every time it went in I would get this relief and sometimes that was only down one side of my body but then it would almost like triple the pain when it would fail so that it was the middle of the night by this point on the Monday and eventually they had to call in another anaesthetist at 5am because the anaesthetist that was administering the anaesthetic basically threw his hands up and was like, I don't know what's going on, I can't do it. And yeah, he said a few things that were really not okay, but it was it was just horrendous. My partner was in tears watching me in pain. That's all right, take a minute. It's always the bit that gets me, isn't it? It's like you can see yourself upset, but you can't see someone else upset. You know, they he wanted to take it away. Yeah. But he couldn't, and he was begging for them to help me, and nothing else was touching the sides. So eventually they brought in the head anaesthetist, actually, and he finally someone scanned me and identified they'd been putting it into a complete dead spot. There was no way that it was going to work in the place they were putting it in and he'd even administered it there so 
yeah my confidence in who was cheating me at that point was like on the ground and I was really scared for my safety and um, essentially I've, I had this innate fear and my body just went into complete shock you know when they say that like your body's in shock I now I, I now actually know what that means because I just didn't have any um sense of it anymore it was like I was having an outer body experience when it finally hit like after the it was over eight hours of trying to administer it but meanwhile I was just screaming in pain and I wasn't progressing either they could then put in the the syntocin they could then administer that which meant that it did speed up and look, that was great. And I actually, you just kind of forget what's just happened in the moment because you're just so focused on making sure that the baby's all right. Like you've just, you've wanted this for so long. You've protected that baby. You've grown it for almost a year. And then you're at that final hurdle. So it kind of, I just put it out of my mind and got back into happy space again. And, and I was actually able to focus on progressing. And it was amazing. And I had a few hours of feeling amazing. And I even got checked and they're like, you're seven centimeters. So I only had three to go, which was amazing. And I felt really positive. Josh hadn't eaten in days. So he went, my husband went to get something to eat. And when he did, he was gone for like a minute and all the monitors started going and there was a rush of activity. And the doctor came in and said, he's distressed. The baby, we knew it was a boy. He's distressed. You're distressed. Like your heart isn't performing like we want it to. And so we're we're going to have to take him out now. So yeah, he was called back. My husband was called back. And literally within four minutes, we were in the theater. I had, I had been given something that was making me violently ill, like vomiting. Yeah. So I was just vomiting. And they just pulled him out. And it was it was as quick as that. I do remember, so my student nurse um, is actually my husband's cousin, which was really special. So she got to take some pictures and she did put on my playlist that I really wanted. And so I don't remember the song, though. I really need to figure that out, that he was born to. But it was all just a blur and I felt horrific. I just felt like a shell. And obviously when I saw him and he cried for the first time, it was amazing to hear him but I was just broken I knew I was broken in that moment but I was just so glad he was okay and then it just you know it turned out that he was deflex which meant that no matter how much I was pushing and how much the contractions were happening he we weren't progressing I wasn't dilating and so he was never coming out I was dilating but he wasn't moving with the dilation um, he yeah. was stuck behind my pelvis and he was also back to back, which is why the contractions were so painful. So it was, it felt just like a series of unfortunate events. But when it's so, well, you know, when it's life and, and death, like potential, you know, that's what it feels like. It's, it's not, it's not as lighthearted or light touch as that. And, you know, it, it was all kind of good the first 24 hours because he latched, which was so important to me, um, really important that I breastfed. I'd put it in my head that this was, you know, a priority. But that was short-lived. That was unfortunately very short-lived. And, you know, <sighs> that was probably worse than the birth in the end, the breastfeeding experience and, and added just to the struggles that I ended up having mentally 
if I, if it had gone well, I think it would. I'd be telling a different story today because it would have been a line in the sand. Like, yes, those were seventy-two very difficult hours, but it's kind of it was for a reason. But I then ended up. It just continued. He he had a tongue tie. It turned out, and my supply was really affected, and it was the perfect storm. Um, and with my mental health, I was just. I just couldn't find answers to help me. I re- I reached out in so many different directions with the community health nurses, with my own midwife, with lactation consultants, and none of them, they all provided different advice, every mm-hmm. single one of them. So I just was so confused by what to do, which then, you know, added to feeling like a failure and like I couldn't do I couldn't do this I couldn't give birth properly I couldn't feed properly and of course you know at the time I wasn't aware of all of the resources like podcasts like books that actually speak truth about about childbirth and what it can be like in postpartum I I had no resources and we didn't talk about it as you know in my friendship group not many had had children at that point either so it was really difficult to know what to do and Dr. Google was not helpful and just added to the problem. And so I ended up, you know, I was phoning the breastfeeding helpline multiple times a day, but depending on who you spoke to, you would get different different advice. Mm. And I just actually needed someone to say, you just need to stop now. Mm. You just need to stop because you're you're making yourself ill and if you're ill you're that's the main thing that you need to look after and that's the main thing we need to ensure is that you know the focus just shifts like at lightning speed from you as the vessel that's carrying the baby to the baby and it's almost like you're left behind like wait what just happened like I don't know I had whiplash from the whole thing and it just I just needed that. I just needed it. But of course, nobody was willing to say that to me. And so it took weeks to make the call that I would mixed feed. Meanwhile, he's dropping weight. My baby went to below his birth weight at four weeks, which was traumatic. You know, failure to thrive is what I was told. I mean, how damaging is that when all you want is to keep your child, like to love them, to nourish them, to help them thrive from the minute that they that you know they exist and then to say that they're failing to thrive in your care is heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking and every time I used to have absolute anxiety every time he was to get weighed because I was trying so hard with the pumping and the, and the feeding but I really wanted him to you know latch and I was trying everything I thought I could throwing so much money at it that we didn't have and it just yeah it resulted in I just can't even tell you you know I've been very used to very kind of focused on on goals and making sure that I am fulfilling my potential and really looking to achieve and succeed and that's the kind of person I am very driven and very tenacious but when, when motherhood came along it just threw all that out the water and I was just I had nothing left to give I had nothing left to give. And as a result, it really affected my attachment to him, which is heartbreaking to look back on. But it, it, it led us to where we are now, right? 
But, you know, I had been through some mental health struggles in the past and knew that I wasn't okay. I was fortunate enough to be able to identify that because I think that can be a huge barrier for people in being able to recognize it and then ask for help. Like that step one is just the awareness factor. And I knew um, I was actually putting on quite a good front to the world that I was okay, but I wasn't. And I could do that because of COVID, like you weren't socializing as much. But um, I accessed some supports, you know, typical supports, mental health plan. I went on medication. I guess mentally, I started to feel better. But physically, there'd been a lot of damage done that I wasn't yet aware of at that point. So I started to, yeah, I did start to feel a bit better. But a lot of damage had been done in such a concentrated amount of time. And that's when I, um, you know, was realised with my psychologist that I had PTSD Mm -hmm. um, from the event, which I had never experienced before, or certainly I wouldn't, I wouldn't recognise that. Um, I I have not had experience that I would recognise as that. So that was um, quite confronting because I guess it's what um, an author called Mark Manson and the subtle art of not giving a bleep. Um, he writes about the two arrow effect and it's like you're you hurt from the pain of the experience itself but you hurt from the the narrative that's created around the experience as well and you know I really um I held on to that second arrow for quite a long time really trying to understand what the narrative was and how how it, the whole thing has affected me but I did know that I didn't want that arrow to be stuck in my chest for too long and how I, I wanted to kind of take it out, I guess. You said you picked up that you weren't okay. You had that self-awareness. If I can ask for someone listening, what did that look like for you? Like what were those signs? What were those thought patterns? Like what was happening on a daily basis that you were able to look at yourself and say, I know I'm not okay? I think the fundamental thing were physiological for me as a starting point, which were I wasn't eating, which is mm. not like me at all. Your parasympathetic nervous system is not being nourished. Like you don't have anything in there, which is what gives you that those hunger signs. So my whole body was just not functioning well. Mm. The other um, trigger or um, sign major sign was I had such bad insomnia when Mm. people said to me sleep when the baby sleeps I was so triggered because I couldn't sleep at all so I was just awake all night I was awake you know I just I dreaded nighttime I absolutely dreaded it and I dreaded the wake-ups and because of the feeding like because the feeding was so traumatic like he was just screaming at me because he had colic he had reflux at this point was undiagnosed and he, you know, was in pain and he could, and he was hungry. So every feed I was just having all of these responses, these stress responses. And the feeds are very often, very regular at that stage, you know, mm-hmm. four, four to 12 weeks, it's constant. So not sleeping, not eating. And then just, I would honestly, the biggest like feeling or emotion was a disconnect, a yeah. disconnect from myself, from others. And just feeling like I was existing outside of myself. Um, I just had no joy. And people would give me the platitudes of like, oh, you know, the, are you in the love bubble? And I, I think, you know, the, the Facebook announcement situation 
and the things people say I'm so aware of now because I just think we assume that everything's happy, go lucky and it all went to plan or it all went well at least without any trauma. But we know from the statistics that that is so rare. That is so rare. And it's only since I started sharing my story with my friendship group that I realised that is, you know, they didn't tell me that they had gone through things because we don't, we don't talk about it. So the the disconnect from those feelings that you're meant to be feeling as well as another one, like feelings of overjoy and overflow and love and abundance and just feeling really happy. I had none of that. So those three things together and you know the connection obviously you don't feel that connection with your baby I think mine's was causal from all of the things that had happened but Mm. I knew that I wanted to remedy it as quickly as possible and I think that's you know for anyone that's resonating with any of this one tiny tidbit it's just it's worth a conversation with a medical professional health professional because the sooner that we can take back the reins of our mental health, the sooner we get to feel that happiness and joy out of motherhood again. I relate to that wholeheartedly. The sooner you ask for help, as much as you might not believe it at the time, but you're right, the quicker. (sighs) The things you don't think possible, that those moments of joy with your baby, they will happen. They will. Like we can't take away the pain that we feel but we can stop the suffering. Mm. I read that quote, I read that quote quite recently and it just, it really resonated when it came to postpartum and how we feel. You know, that pain never, will never not be there. It will never not be a part of you, but you don't have to suffer and Mm. and suffering is, is being silent about it. So the minute you start to get that niggle, just take one step and it's not a commitment to anything that you don't feel comfortable with. It's just saying, I want to, I want to change things for myself. Like I, I know that things get to be better. Even if you don't actually believe that things can be better, just take the step because you'll soon see it will show itself to you. And then, you know, before you know it, you can genuinely kind of reflect that you've healed or you're, or you're on your healing journey. And mm. it's, it's an amazing place to be at the other side of it all. Yeah just taking that step I I had another guest on the podcast say it's a no-lose situation Mm. like you're already feeling like shit now if you take that step if that turns out not to be the right help and you need to go somewhere else what's there to lose exactly it's just it's throwing the spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks yeah I was trying that with the breastfeeding stuff I do take that approach with anything like I don't give up easily but it it that that's where we've got systematic problems with our mm. maternal health system in that nobody has a clue what we're doing and it's the most fundamentally important thing that we support or have existing in the world is giving life it's giving life and there is we are doing a disservice to the women that ha- are experiencing this and then we have to find ways to pick up the pieces and solve the problems which is why I'm so passionate about what I do now and in a tiny way it's not it's not really directly related um into working with women in this space but it it indirectly does because it it helps you know it provides spaces for women to feel better and come home to themselves again after these 
horrific experiences that we should never have to go through it just yeah. breaks my heart that I that we are just the cycle continues yeah the fact that it's as you said it's on us and I say this all the time it shouldn't be up to us to be screaming for help asking for help going to a million different providers but until that changes I will sit here and I will always say please ask for help if that's not the right help go somewhere else like because that's what's going to save lives until something else changes it's that willingness to ask for help or to try something different or as you said throw spaghetti at the wall see what sticks that's what saves lives oh I can't agree with that sentiment more and it is exhausting and advocating for yourself when you are just you know a new mum or or I've just given birth it's 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 so difficult because you just you're not you're not running on your fuel like you're exhausted you're depleted anyway even when it goes to plan that's just the reality um so it is exhausting but we got to keep up the fight I just yeah it really um it's so empowering to think how strong we are when you reflect on all the stories that you've shared on this podcast so far and and what has been experienced by individuals mothers and the power within them that they have Mm. got through what can break so could break a lot of people um I think we're such a strong gender and what we go through is just it's really inspiring so yeah just do what you need to do to be okay Mm. again that's and that might that's going to look very different for everybody absolutely and I guess on those lines your your potent package of postnatal recovery Mm. tools um so you mentioned you started the talk therapy on a mental health plan with your psychologist who identified the PTSD you started medication I'm assuming that was the first time you'd taken medication for mental health it wasn't actually no okay it wasn't and I'd had a bad experience with a previous run on medication for depression in that I gained a lot of weight and spoiler alert happened again so I had flagged that I had put on I'm talking you know 30 40 kilos the previous time in my 20s and um, the doctor gave me a specific drug that was intended not to have that impact but unfortunately, it just went the same way. So it increases your hunger. So the medication, for me personally, and it doesn't affect everyone like this, of course, mm. but it wasn't great. But it it was all for a reason, right? Because it actually, it led me to um, gain again another 35 kilos in a year, which is a significant amount of weight to put on. And I was also diagnosed with a chronic illness Uh, about 14 months after the birth of my son I was really I was mentally starting to feel better although I was having you know issues looking at myself in the mirror so there was that but physically I was becoming more and more immobile which I put down to the weight gain but it was more than that I was fatigued I was my joints were aching I was getting these um, rashes I was actually hospitalized they thought I had hives because I came out in this huge rash all over my face and chest and they sent me for tests and eventually after a misdiagnosis I read I took home the blood results and reread them and found that they'd read one of the blood results wrongly and took it back to another doctor and he said oh yeah I need to send you to a specialist and the specialist is someone who kind of treats bone disease or like diseases that affect the joints 
And um, I was diagnosed with lupus, which was likely triggered by the birth because what it did was I spent such a long time in a fear response. My body was so heightened. My body was um, in so much pain that it was paralyzed. My immune system then Mm. reacted and it started attacking itself. And what lupus does is attack your your tissue, your organs, your joints, um, your skin. And um, you have what's called flares, which is, you know, you just feel terrible. I'm on medication for that now, but it was a real turning point where I was like, I need to take back control for my life. And so now, you know, it's the holistic approach where I'm not just looking at my mental health, I'm looking at my physical health. And of course, the two support each other. Of course. But that diagnosis is very pivotal in that it, it allowed me to take steps towards um, I actually had a gastric sleeve um, because I was really I was really scared that if I have mental health issues and I'm reliant on medication in the future, then what's going to happen? Like I'm just going to end up gaining, you know, obscene amounts of weight that puts so much pressure on my already frail body that's struggling. And I wanted to thrive. I, I didn't want failure to thrive. I wanted to thrive as a mother finally. So I had um, surgery just over a year ago and I've now lost nearly 50 kilos, which feels incredible. And it's not the weight loss because, you know, healthy looks different on every body. Mm. But it's it's not about the weight on the scales. It's about my ability to move again, to run after my son, you know, to be with him. So that was part of that potent postpartum package, you know. I guess it's all meant to like have happened how it has, but I've had to make very active decisions on on what next. And I now feel like I'm not, you know, it's a constant evolution, but I really feel like now I am where I am because of those steps. The final step I'll just flag that I did take and go, this is rewinding back to those first Mm. few months postpartum. When I was really like an empty shell of a person, I had a friend reach out and say, you know, I know this is probably not for you because you're postpartum and it might be too soon. And she had kids herself. She understood, like, typically we don't leave our children, you know, in postpartum. But she was running a retreat for women. And I sat with it and something in me, I don't know, it wasn't my rational brain, but it was something in my my heart and my gut that said, you have to go. And the reason that I actually was like a sign came to me, which was the retreat was being held about two minutes down the road from a holiday house we had at the time. And so it meant that my partner could take the baby and and he could stay there. And the host of the retreat agreed for them to visit during the retreat, which was not really commonplace. But given he was only five months old at the time I went on retreat, I, um, I did. And it was such a cathartic life-changing experience that I had this visceral response to everything that I engaged with we did breath work we did um you know childhood inner child work we did ocean swimming I mean I was you know not physically very well at all but it was exactly what I needed and it actually that's when it became very clear that the fact that I hadn't had my mum for support around all of these struggles was actually what probably one of the hardest things and I hadn't really given it any airtime I hadn't processed and the borders were still locked we didn't even know when my parents could meet my son um so it was wonderful and you know fast forward two years on from that I'm now running retreats of similar ilk but just for mums and just Mm. focused on that that self-care and getting that time out to connect to self 
because it is so powerful as a healing tool. And even if you don't need to heal particularly, I mean, I think every single mother does in some way. There's some season that's challenging or more challenging than others, but it's um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful way to really immerse yourself in that healing and just joy, like absolute yeah. joy. Women being with women is so powerful. And that was definitely part of my potent package of <laughs> postpartum toolkit. I can't believe I called it that. I'm going to be. No, I'm all for it. I love it. (laughs) I love it. And I think it's like what you're talking about here. I just think it's such an important reminder that you as a mother are important. You know, as you said before, we're discarded when we give birth because all the energy, all the focus, all the, you know, we, we care about is our baby thriving. But what about mum? Is mum thriving? If mum's failing to thrive herself, then what does that mean for the baby? That's a There's a relationship there and mum is important too. So I'm really glad, first of all, that you had that retreat to honour you as a person, as a woman, as a mother, but that you've then gone on to do this for other women as well because it is so important to just say you are important too. Mm. And a lot of us reject that idea it's that sacrifice you know immediately we become a mum and then it's just self-sacrifice central and that's all we're thinking about it's all we're expected to do and society would have you think that if you Mm. sign up to the good mother myth but that's toxic as if and Mm -hmm. I I unsubscribe wholeheartedly I am what's called a wallet mum where I'm not the good mum I'm proud of that you know I know my strengths I know what, you know, I bring to my son. It's not packed lunches. I'm a snack bitch, but it's carrying packets of snacks. And if I remember the banana, then I'm winning. But it's, I took a long time to accept that and accept that I have so many strengths as a mum and what I'm gifting him in, in terms of like creativity and play and connection and his ability to be with himself and like look after himself and know his needs like he's not even three and he every night tells me the color of his heart and how it feels like that is what matters to me not you know if he eats tiny teddies for breakfast which okay it doesn't happen every day right but like it happens and we need to just let go of the shit that doesn't serve us like is it really important to us what's important and being on a sheet helps I guess gain clarity on that like am I living my life on purpose or am I a bystander and like letting things just happen to me and expectations that come from other people you know in-laws or parents or mother's groups like oh it's just we gotta look inwards and but we don't have a minute to do that we don't get a hot minute from the minute that baby's out to actually look inwards so this is what these retreats you know give give mums two nights three days just to decompress take a minute think about what they need and what they want from their life and if it's serving them and how they want to show up for themselves and you know I don't like using this as the only reason or the driver to do self-care or self-development or self-love but our kids are watching and Mm. I don't that's not the primary reason for like it has to be about you and and your your you matter and you're worth it but they are watching what we do and what do we want to teach them do we want to teach them that they are important and they need to prioritize their needs and be able to 
communicate those and make themselves a priority. Of course we do. We don't want them to be people pleasers and depleted and downtrodden and feeling like they're not living a happy life. No. So, but it's just, we get into this spiral, I guess, or hamster wheel of just doing the do. And I'm really focused now on being as much as Mm. I can rather than doing it doesn't always work out like that and hey I've not got it sorted this is a work in progress it's like you know they they speak about the things you need to learn the most and that's Mm. probably why I talk about self-care and self-love because I'm still on it I'm still doing it and yeah it's just ongoing it's a lifelong journey oh absolutely if I can backtrack a little bit to the birth debrief Mm. What prompted you to make that decision or was that your psychologist or did that come out of the retreat or from your lupus diagnosis that, okay, I need to reconnect with my body? So it was actually a combination of the psychologist appointments, but also retreat and realising that I couldn't let go. I I needed answers. So I couldn't accept that there was a massive gap in my knowledge of why it happened the way it happened. And I needed, you know, to understand that we need to sometimes know the why. I mean, some people are very good at just letting go regardless, but I need, I'm a very evidence-based, research-based person. I work in a university, so it's kind of in my DNA. And so I wanted to understand it better. And when we can understand it, we can almost like put it to bed, put it to rest. And I didn't even know that this, that I could do this. But my psychologist then, once I identified, like, I'm still holding on to this anger and resentment about the experience, once she identified that, and once we talked about that in that appointment, she said, well, you can actually request it. So I did a bit of digging, and I put in the request. And it took months. It's Mm. a bit of back and forth. But really, there's just a lot of admin, because mainly the coordination and the timetable. And I mean, you're pretty free as a mum on mat leave with the baby other than the sleep schedules but the midwife with the obstetrician that ended up delivering the baby and the anaesthetist the head anaesthetist of the hospital getting their schedules aligned was quite laborious Mm. but overall like the actual request for it was pretty straightforward I can't actually remember so apologies but it would be different in every state anyway so I had this session with them and my husband and I went in and we took the baby um, with us and I think it humanized the experience for them because you know we're just a name on a clipboard at that point and it really became clear when the obstetrician actually said to me thank you for sharing that this experience because I think sometimes we can forget the emotion attached and I, I felt like at first I was really a little bit agitated or I guess angry at him saying that because I'm like but we're literally giving birth to a human that we like want so much in the world it's the most important thing we'll ever do as a woman for so many of us for most of us that's how we feel about it and you can't think that there'd be emotions around that and that you know if it doesn't go well or there's a risk to life that it wouldn't be very traumatic like anyway but you know the fact he said that the fact that it it had I think it had a profound effect on people in the room because they hadn't been asked to do one before either I tell everybody about it if they if they share their birth story and they're not they weren't satisfied with it in the care that they received then you know I tell everyone about it now but yeah it was it wasn't a great 
it was a sorry it was a good conversation but it was very hard to have the conversation it's a lot to put yourself through especially quite early on I find talking about the birth very cathartic and healing and I know that's a common across these interviews um it it's very empowering and you know they say you grow through what you go through and my life wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that experience I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing and and working with the incredible women that I get to work with but there was some lessons to share or there was some wisdom I guess or experience to impart on them on that team so they can do better and Mm -hmm. I felt like I actually had a responsibility so not only did I get some closure they explained a lot about what had actually happened physiologically and then why decisions were made and I wasn't communicated with and then there was just the, you know, rudeness. There was a few rude moments of like, not, I didn't have a nice experience with certain individuals on the team. So we just got to speak about it all. And I just got to voice so that they can do better. And I left them with that message. Like, I just, I never want another woman to go through what I went through. And I can't, you know, obviously you can't be reassured of that, but they, I think they will do better or they'll try and do better now. And so it just felt like a really empowering and, and it gave me closure. Mm. Look, I, it's not closed. The door is never closed. Of course. Um, and, and if the door is closed, then you have to move on. And, and that's when you know you've moved on and you, you've taken the lessons and you've learned and you've healed. But it, the door is still open for sure. But um, um it's it feels a lot less fiery. It, the, the redness in it has been taken out. It's kind of, uh, it's getting yellow. And soon, you know, it'll become just a rainbow. You know, it's just going to be something that happened, punctuated my life, but it's um, it's not, it's not got that grief or yeah, trauma mm. attached to it. I'm really glad you had that opportunity, and good on you for pursuing that. If you had to leave one message to any woman out there, or even to yourself, just before you gave birth or when you were pregnant, what would you say, or what do you wish you had heard yourself? Oh gosh, you got to do what's best for you. It's the simplest, you know, because I I can't give advice. Like I wish personally that I had been, had more awareness around what could happen in birth and I wasn't going into it with rose-tinted glasses. I wish I'd had more education and not just gone, yeah, just not just taken at face value the hypnobirthing material. But at the same time, that's not good for everybody's mental health either. Some people, that would be really, you know, unhealthy for them. So just Mm. know what you need. Um, Really connect to yourself. Do as much of that as you can during the pregnancy. I wish I'd focused less on the colour of the nursery and the, you know, the feel of the bloody cot sheet and just focused on how I support myself emotionally, mentally, physically, before, during and after the birth. Um, I think the podcasts like this are just an uh, absolute lifeline for people. And I, you know, really would just encourage people though to, to connect with you and access support. You know, I probably, knowing that I had men- predisposition to mental health issues, I, I might have had my um, psychologist on standby. Um, and maybe we'd have had some appointments in advance of the birth just to really talk through some of those anxieties that I think I actually shut away and they were there they were waiting to just come out and especially Mm -hmm. with the pandemic so if you know that you do have challenges like chances are we know from the research it is going to be trickier and there'll be something that comes up that 
that's that um creates a stumbling block so you know if you can access that support just yeah do it don't hesitate it's not weak um so yeah just please look after yourself you are so important to to your babies and to everybody in your life and you deserve it and I love that message. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about your experience. I know how hard, I can hear it in your voice, how hard it is to share, even now, nearly three years later, your message and your your advice. As much as you said it's not individual advice, I think it's still incredible advice that you just need to look after yourself. Whatever that looks like, that will look different for everyone, but you are important. And I don't think I could think of anything better to end this podcast with. So thank you. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. It's the there's it's the reason why my Instagram is called Mamahood My Way because it's it's about doing it your way, and that is just it's going to be a game changer when we realise that that's what motherhood looks like. It's whatever's good for you. And maybe one last question. Yes. When you conceived and during pregnancy, it was lockdown. It was pandemic. You couldn't see your family, even postpartum. What was it like when you actually got to see your family? Did they oh, come out and help God. you look after the baby? Like I I was holding on. I was like, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> you are you're gonna set me off again. Um, oh, no, it, it was it was amazing. It was the most incredible moment. So the minute the borders opened, the day that we got the announcement, they booked their flights and they were out yeah. here within two weeks. And it was a week before his first birthday, which was amazing like I had this thing in my head that I wanted them to meet him while he was a baby still and they technically I guess did and it was oh it was I watched the video of my mum meeting my like holding my son over and over and over again it's on my Instagram actually if anyone wants to have a little I'll have to go scroll back and have a look (laughs) I'll send it to you oh it's just it was oh amazing but so just um yeah it's really made me realize like how important those connections are how important our relationships are and nurturing those and the village doesn't have to be physically located it's it 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 exists all around us and there's so much love and just to really hold on to that um but yeah I cannot it was a core memory for sure and they've been out once since then so they've been out twice and they're coming out for their first ever oh, Aussie Christmas in love it what did mum say this morning five weeks this weekend so I cannot wait thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story if you like this episode please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. No medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.